Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read from verse 44. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. Sold all that he has and bought the field. Sold all that he had and bought the pearl of great price. A.W. Tozer, uh, who's a a writer, uh, you maybe come across him, he said this, Next to the Holy Scriptures, the greatest aid to the life of faith may be Christian biographies. The greatest aid to the life of faith may be Christian biographies. We can mine uh, in the characters of church history uh, and find much gold, real treasures that we can learn from. And it's a real refining fire tonight. Uh, I want you to see that. John Bunyan, um, he's a famous name. Uh, He's, of course, uh, the author of the second most likely book to be found in your home, if you're a Christian, and that's Pilgrim's Progress. We aren't going to talk about it extensively tonight. Suffice to say that if you haven't read it, uh, this uh, allegory, uh, this uh, story of the Christian life in, 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 a, in a kind of allegor- allegoric form, uh, you, well, you don't know what you're missing. We don't uh, know exactly when he was born. But little John uh, was, was baptised uh, as an infant uh, on the 30th of November, 1628. 1628. For that, that's of course what every Christian family did back then. You were baptised as an infant and he was born sometime very shortly before that. We would have to imagine late 1628. He was born in Elstow, uh, which is about a mile south of Bedford, uh, which, is in, uh, which is north of, of London, uh, near Luton, that kind of area. Uh, and John Bunyan, I want to say to you, lived in a very turbulent time in England. In, the, in those days, now it's fitting that we've got the background here tonight, you'll, you'll see why in a moment or two. Uh, in those days, um, uh, there was a serious conflict between uh, the English Parliament and the monarchy. And it was all about matters of faith and religion. Uh, King Charles I, who was the monarch on the throne, uh, and Bishop Laud of, of the state church, uh, opposed uh, significant changes that were, that were desired by some people, a group of people known as the Puritans. These were uh, pastors and teachers uh, between sort of 1500 and 1700 who wanted to, to purify uh, the Church of England away from uh, any remaining influence of Catholicism since the Reformation, which, is, which, was, which happened in the early 1500s. Puritans get a bad name. Someone once remarked that Purit- Puritanism is the hunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy. So I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's unfair. Puritanism um, is the hunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy. Uh, it's just plain wrong, actually, because they were not boring people. They, they enjoyed the same hobbies as anyone else in the church. They, they, they expressed their faith in, in, a, in a lively relationship with God, a, a real relationship with God. They just wanted to turn their thoughts away from the outward uh, and to focus on, on inward reality. 
And I have no issue whatsoever in wholeheartedly agreeing with that sort of Christianity. Away from the outward and towards the inward reality. Back in 1608, 20 years before John was born, there was, a, there was big persecution going on in England. And a whole bunch of these Puritans actually fled to Holland. And we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But back in England in the 1630s, uh, the chief bishop and King Charles I uh, preferred a high church model opposing any kind of reforms from Puritanism. Uh, And in practical terms, uh, that meant that they preferred religious ritual and rites, uh, more bells and whistles and smoke in the church. Uh, that's, That's the kind of idea. And to oppose this, um, up steps someone called Oliver Cromwell. And Oliver Cromwell is elected to Parliament in 1640. And by 1642, there is a full-blown civil war in England. Those loyal to the king, the royalists, the, the cavaliers, as they're called, on one side. And those loyal to Parliament, uh, the, the parliamentarians, the roundheads, on the other side. In 1645... Uh, the, the Parliament take over the control of the monarchy. In 1646, we have what's known as the Westminster Confession of Faith, which, which is completed by the Puritans down in London. And by 1649, King Charles I lost his head, literally. He was executed. By the time Oliver Cromwell dies in 1658, he has stabilised the government and provided freedom for Puritan preachers. He was the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth in what was effectively now a republic. But his successor, called Richard, incidentally, his son, he he fails to hold on to power. And Charles II then returns from exile uh, to the throne in 1660. And the situation in England is then turned again on its head. Um, High Church is preferred. And the the Puritans are are then, then, um, they're the lawbreakers. They're the enemy of the those in power. There's great restrictions on non-conformists, that's non-official Church of England preachers, preachers like John Bunyan. They're faced with a choice. Preach and suffer or keep quiet. And we all know what John did. For if he had kept quiet, his name would be consigned to history. And yet we all have heard of him today. He preached and he suffered, and boy did he suffer in his life. I want you to be ready for that, because he really suffered. Bunyan uh, learned his trade from his father. He was a metal worker or a tinker. Uh, He he learned to read and write at school, but very little besides that. Uh, He he never attended higher education. He knew nothing about Greek or Hebrew or anything like that. He was not a Bible scholar. He was just an ordinary man. And long before he was converted, when he was 15... His mother and sister died within a month of each other. His father then remarried within another month. And as you can imagine, that that would have been difficult. The king's army uh, then attacked his local church and put pressure on it. Bunyan was then drafted into the parliamentary army to fight in the battle at the age of 16 for two or three years of military service. And during this time he came close to death on more than one occasion. He he recounts how a a man took his place on lookout duty and was promptly shot in the head with a musket. And that was the end of him. Bunyan got married. And we don't know the name of his his wife, but but they had four children, two boys and two girls. And the eldest, Mary, was born blind. And that was even more difficult in those days. 
of course. John was converted to Christianity in the first five years of his marriage after moving to Bedford, uh, sitting under the ministry of someone called John Gifford. Now these are the early days of the Baptist movement in England. And of course you're sitting in a Baptist church tonight. At the start of the 17th century, there began to be rumblings uh, because people began to see problems with the current model of baptising children in the church. They began to see issues with unbelievers uh, effectively being made members of the church. For if you you get the idea, if you baptise a child and they grow up and they're a member of the church, of course, if you baptise them and they carry on and and they become an adult and then they turn their their eyes away from God completely, maybe they never came to faith, then you've effectively got someone who's not a believer as a member of the church. And if you want to purify... As the Puritans did. How would that ever happen in such a scenario? In Amsterdam. Remember some people fled from England to to Holland years before. Someone called John Smith. Embraced the idea that only believers baptism was valid. This was the, the start of the Baptist movement. And this was an incredibly controversial issue politically. Because as as the civil war in England shows, uh, at this time, faith and politics are very closely connected. What was the issue about in politics? It was about the church. What was the issue about? It was about whether or not you wanted this model or this model. So the two things were so closely connected. And and you need the link uh, between, um, you you need that baptism link with the next generation. If you're going to secure the next generation in that way. If you get me, you, you need the link for, for numbers as well. You need to keep everyone on. And, and if, you, if you lose that, then that's why it's controversial. Depending on who was in charge of the country, Baptists were either banned from preaching and, and, and pastors sent to prison, or they were licensed uh, to be ministered. It was depending which, which, which stage you were at. And it changed during John Bunyan's life. One of the first churches to baptise believers in England at all was in Bedford. The very Baptist church where John Bunyan was in in attendance when he was converted. Again, like Augustine last week, we looked at last week, his conversion didn't happen overnight. But over what he describes as a lengthy and agonising process. But I want you to see the, the influence of a godly wife here. Uh, she was not named, but she was, a, uh, she, uh, she, she was important because she was not a well-off woman. The entirety of the, of the diary that she brought along to their home when they got married uh, was, was no money, uh, no nice dinner set, no, no Denby equivalent, but two solitary Puritan books. That's what she brought with her. That was the, that was the sum of it. There was no Netflix, there was no PlayStation, of course. And so John read these two solitary books, and he read them to his wife, and they read them together. And at this time he, he realized that he'd never truly trusted in Christ before, if this, this was what Christianity was. And he, he, he clearly had made a mistake to think he was a Christian. And this began God's work in him. In keeping with form, uh, this process was a time of deep inner struggle and and trial. In fact, perhaps some things that uh, that you may have struggled with or still struggle with. Perhaps some of his doubts ring true for you. He had questions like, how can you tell but that the Turks 
had as good scriptures to prove their Muhammad, the saviour, as we have to prove our Jesus. You see, the Turks are the Muslims, right? So what he's effectively saying here is that, how do we know that the Bible is any better than the Quran? That's his question. Muhammad, that's, that's the spelling. How do we know? That's the question he has. He's, he's struggling with this one. How do we know it's any better, right? He was also aware of his, so aware of his own wickedness and his mind that he feared he, he had committed the unpardonable sin. Did that concern? Had he gone beyond God's ability to forgive him? It was he too bad? Maybe that applies to you tonight. I don't know. And here's another one that maybe you can relate to. John did not feel good enough in God's sight. He felt that he could never be up to scratch in God's eyes. He, he, he felt that, 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 that he was just not there yet. He wrestled with this one really often. But then he says this. One day, as I was passing into the field. It's probably two slides forward. Thanks, Kim. One day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. There, I said, is my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say to me, where is your righteousness? For it is always right before him. I saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness is Christ. Not my, now my chains fell off indeed. My temptations fled away. And I lived sweetly at peace with God. His righteousness was not himself. He, he realised it was Christ. Of course he wasn't good enough. He would have been like that man. We read about it in Matthew 22. That came to the wedding and he didn't have a garment on. He didn't have, he didn't have a garment on. And, 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 and he was thrown out. But if you come and you put on Christ, just as the children were learning about this morning, if you put on Christ, then, then that's your righteousness. That's, that's, that's what you depend on. Even though he, he's flawed, Bunyan, in some ways, he has faith, doesn't he? You see it there? Bunyan believes, and, and the God he trusts leads him to accept the truth of his word. Bunyan believes that even the chief of sinners can have eternal life. Bunyan believes that Christ is his righteousness. A righteousness that he's clothed in. And that is infinitely good enough for God. And God overcomes in the end. He conquers Bunyan's heart. Listen to how he puts it. Down I fell as a bird shot from a tree. That's how he says he he became a Christian. Down I fell. As a bird shot from a tree. He was uh, baptised again, if you want to put it like that, as a believer in 1653. He, he, he soon became a, a lay preacher. Uh, and the word in the, on the countryside was that the tinker had turned preacher. And God made him a powerful preacher. He really did. Hundreds would gather, not because he was a really good man, but because of what God had done, Right? To hear God's word and, to, and, to, and, and said that he, he, it was said that he'd been given great power to touch men's hearts and women's hearts. After ten years of marriage, his wife died, sadly, leaving him with four children, one of whom 
who of course was blind. A year later he remarried someone called Elizabeth. And she was a remarkable woman. When Bunyan was put in prison in 1660, she was pregnant with their first child, but miscarried in the crisis. She then takes on Bunyan's four children while he's in jail. They later have two more themselves. Elizabeth and John were married one year when he was arrested for preaching. And he could have been released any day. If he'd simply agreed not to go back to preaching, he would have got out. But his conscience would not allow it. He would not recant. And so he stayed in prison for 12 years. 12 years. During this time he wrote uh, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. That's his book about um, his spiritual journey. Um, And we've, we've actually listened to a quote from it already. When he was released in 1672, he became a licensed pastor after a barn was purchased and renovated. He remained there for 16 years until his uh, death at the age of 60. But he had one more spell, just as we see there on the screen, in prison in the winter of 1675. When it's believed that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which everyone has heard of, of course. It was first published in 1678. The book, of course, is a a story of the long journey of someone called Christian as he comes across many characters who are strangely named after their traits. You remember? Evangelist and faithful and pliable and giant despair. These characters that he comes across in his hazardous journey as he goes from the city of destruction through the slough of despond to the foot of the cross on through the valley of the shadow, vanity fair. That's where that phrase comes from, by the way. At Doubting Castle, amongst many other places, before he finally crosses the river to the celestial city. It's full of homemade idioms that uh, Bunyan had made up. And phrases from the King James Bible, which was only 50 years new at the time. It's of course a reflection of his own experience. That slough of despond where he wrestled with the, the issues of, could, could God save me? Could, am, I, am I good enough? Um, and, and what about the, the, the other scriptures that claim to be... Well, that's, that's, that's him. That's him. And, and, and that uh, hazardous journey that, he, that as a believer, because of course living in this time, it was extraordinarily difficult to be a Christian. Especially if you're a pastor. The tensions for people like Bunyan must have been extraordinary. Think about it. Meetings were broken in on, worshippers hurried off to prison as preventative measures, hymns were left out uh, and, uh, of the program, and, and, and churches were reconvened at the dead of night. Ministers were introduced through trap doors in the, in the walls or the ceiling or the floor. But God sustained him until the 31st of August 1688 when he dies of a violent fever after being caught in a storm during a trip to London to preach. He dies actually as he lived much of his later life. Far from his loved ones. One final suffering for a man who suffered so much. It's not to 60 for Bunyan in many trials. And the final storm kills him. But I wonder what lessons we can learn 
from John Bunyan. Yes, it's great to hear that story, you say, but what's that got to do with me? I wonder, have you ever truly trusted Christ? John Bunyan thought he was okay. But he realised one day that he was not, and that he'd made a terrible mistake. In days of much religious form, it's easy to mistake head knowledge for a change in your heart. That's what John was to realise. Maybe you doubt the Bible, or that you think you're too bad for, for God, or maybe you think you couldn't be good enough for God. John saw the answer in each of these problems lay in trusting in Christ but I want to leave you with three main things about John Bunyan the first one is his view of suffering the early um, death of his mother and sister his father's remarriage almost immediately his conscription into the parliamentary army as a teenager the blindness of his first child his his first wife's subsequent death the the 12 year imprisonment the miscarriage uh, the the cut off from his family and church the constant stress of persecution his, his final sickness and death far from his family once more it's a difficult life isn't it I think you agree with that And there are various ways to look at suffering in the life of a Christian. You could think that you were being punished, couldn't you? That God is punishing you for some past feeling. But of course that can't be the case. For Romans 8 tells us that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's not punishment. And you aren't very far down that road, are you, before you decide that God is not good? Because if you think about it, if you, if you judge God by what's happening to you, uh, then if you suffer, uh, not, it's not much of a stretch to conclude that, that God is not good. You can become disillusioned, you can, become, uh, you can determine that you've, you've backed the wrong horse. In other words, you, the, the Christian faith is, is clearly not for me, in fact it's, it's probably not true. That it's made up or something. But what if like John Bunyan we were able to see suffering as a means of dying to self. That's a phrase that sort of summarises what we see in about 20 odd passages in the New Testament. Think about 2 Corinthians 4 verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Or, or Romans 6. I mean, we could turn to Romans 6. Let's do that. Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bible. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin now if we have died with Christ we believe that we will also 
live with him. As an aside here, you can see something of Bunyan's baptistic convictions played out. Because as you read that passage, it, it makes no sense, does it? If you, if you baptize a child in its ignorance, because how can a baby be baptized into his death? And identified with him in all of this. It only makes sense if we're talking about a believer, I would argue. I mean, some people might disagree with that, but I, that, that's the way I, I read that. that. That makes perfect sense. But in terms of suffering, did you hear the identification? That's important here. That's most important. United with Christ. It's, it's that function, isn't it, of, of, of being, being identified with Jesus. You're converted as united to Christ. He dies and so you die. He's buried and, and so is your representative. Uh, and so you're buried with him. He, he's raised and so are you. He suffered and so will we. That's the idea. Christ is the pearl. Okay? The pearl of great price. And the pearls are beautiful. Pearls are beautiful because they have come from a thousand hits from irritants. You know the, the, the um, grains of sand that get into the oyster and, and hit it a thousand, a million times. And eventually it becomes something beautiful. Something beautiful. Well-rounded as well. And it's that identification that's so important. Because that means that, that you and I are a project of God. Another pearl that makes, that's made by a thousand hits from bits of sand, well-rounded and beautiful because of the, the irritant, if you like, that got in. God is at work. Listen to Romans 5. It's back a chapter. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see it there? It's all part of Pilgrim's progress, isn't it? That, 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 that work of God. Contrary to all expectations, it's even a matter for joy, our New Testament tells us. 1 Peter 4 verse 13. But rejoice in so far as you have shared Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because, in the, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's how he viewed suffering. Now look how he viewed the world. That's the second lesson I want to leave with you. How John Bunyan viewed the world. Listen to his comments on 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9. It's on the screen just now. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly um, burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He, he reads this, he reads this um, verse, right? And here's what he says about it. By the scripture, I was made to see that if ever I would suffer rightly, I must first pass a sentence of death upon everything that can properly be called a thing of this life. Even to reckon myself, my wife, my children, my health, my enjoyment and all as dead to me and myself as dead to them. Now this is clearly a remarkable 
statement, isn't it? You read that? You almost have to take a breath at that, don't you? That's remarkable. A, a big sen- uh, this is a, as big a sentence on suffering as I, as I have ever read by, written by a man in my life. Okay? That's a real challenge, isn't it? I'm not sure I could say those things. I'm quite sure I cannot. God needs to work in me still, doesn't he? We often think that it's the obviously sinful things that we need to watch out for, and we do. But actually we also have a tendency to place too much on the non-sinful, legitimate things too. That's as big a problem. If Augustine taught us last week that God is superior to sinful pleasures, he had to give up sinful pleasures and trust in God, then Bunyan teaches us that that God is superior to non-sinful pleasures as well. Where my real joy is in him, not from the perspective of enjoyment in sin, but from the perspective of of good things that that we enjoy in life. In other words, where is God in the league table of our joy? Is, how high? How low? Where, where is he? Is Christ more than all those things to you? Is he treasure above all others? Is he the pearl of great price that you, that you, you sold all that you had? That's, that's the language, wasn't it? All that you had to get it. John Bunyan was not perfect. He said he struggled with being too fond of God's mercies. He's speaking about his health and his wife and his children there, by the way. But when it came to it, he just had to stop preaching. But he would not. His wife was living off the charity of good people, he said. His family were poor, but he would not. He would not recant. His view of suffering, his view of the world, finally his view of Christ. We have, a, we have a great inner resource as Christians that people in general do not have. Because in difficulty, we can experience the closeness of Jesus Christ. I have never had in all my life, he writes, an inlet into the word of God as now. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before were made in this place and state to shine upon me. He's in prison here, right? Jesus Christ also was never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen and felt him indeed. I have had sweet sights of the forgiveness of my sins in this place and of my being with Christ in another with Jesus in another world. Because the truth be told, in difficulty, Christ draws close. I wonder if you ever experienced that. People, people speak to me like that, and that's the truth. I, I know that too. Listen to the end of 1 Peter 4 again. But rejoice insofar as you've shared Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Christ rests upon you. And John John Bunyan rests upon Christ. That's what John Piper says. He rested on Christ. Speaking of John Bunyan. He runs the race. He doesn't let suffering throw him off course. And he gets to the finish line. 
And I'll leave you with the words of Pilgrim's Progress for what happened at the end. I'm going to my father's. And though with great difficulty I am got hither. Yet now I do not repent me of all the troubles I have been at to arrive where I am. My sword I give to him that shall succeed me in my pilgrimage. And my courage and skill to him that that can get it. My marks and scars I carry with me. To be a witness for me that I have fought his battles. Who now will be my rewarder he said. Death where is thy sting? And as he went down deeper he said grave where is thy victory? So he passed over. And all the trumpets sounded for him. On the other side. What does Christ mean to you compared to everything else? Which one is your pearl of great price? Would you give everything you had for him? I'm going to sing as we um, come to the Lord's table, which we'll observe together in a moment or two. I'm going to sing Cornerstone.